0: Good morning, what a joy it is to be back here again, bringing you God's Word, Um, eagerly anticipating our start of the Acts series. Once again, just uh, reiterate uh, Jeremy's announcement of of go and and look and consider picking up one of those uh, Acts scripture journals in the foyer. They're at the the Welcome Center. All right, uh, in in my studies this past week, I, I came across this comment. There are two kinds of Christians. Those who like to give correction and do it often, and those who are scared to do it and just never do it. He goes on that the irony is both kinds of Christians are prone to sin. Those who enjoy giving a good correction are usually the least qualified to give one. While those who would rather do, it, rather do almost anything else are often the very people who would serve the body best with their correction. Here's my takeaway. Giving correction is fraught with peril. Look, the reality is, at best, we have two Christians that are involved, right? So we have two folks who have the, the spirit indwelling them and empowering them to, to godliness, and yet still two folks who are struggling with remaining sin. Giving correction, even receiving correction. Giving correction isn't easy. But it's biblical, it's loving and this restorative. Now, there are many wise and well-written articles and books on the topic of why correction, when to give correction, how to give correction, but what I want us to focus on this morning is, is how to frame correction. Now, most certainly, this, this does have to do with the how to give correction, but I want to make this distinction, how to frame correction, because I want us to see that there's, that there's something that should come before We ever give a word of correction. When we communicate correction to a believer, we should first wisely communicate God's grace in Jesus. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. We're kind of prone, aren't we, with sort of the the introduction to letters, just kind of skim right by them very quickly. And uh, they are also uh, intentionally written and uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit for the, the good of God's people. So we're going to look at the beginning of this letter. While you turn it, let me give you just a little background. This, this letter is largely a massive correction. This letter is, is, is largely a massive letter of rebuke. The church in Corinth is... A mess. Their issues were serious. Their issues were many. Here's just a sampling of all that Paul will be uh, talking to them about. They are a deeply divided bunch. There were multiple factions. Two was not enough. They had been led astray by human wisdom and were drifting away from the gospel. They were tolerating, not disciplining, sexual immorality, a kind, as Paul writes, that's not tolerated even among pagans. Their corporate worship gatherings were an absolute disaster. Paul tells them this. In the following instructions, I have no praise for you because your meetings do more harm than good. They were dishonoring the Lord's Supper when they came together. Some were even getting drunk at the supper. They misunderstood and were misusing the gifts of the Spirit. And yet, and yet, Before Paul says a word of correction, he first says this. Follow along with me as I read our text. Verses 4 through 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Correction comes. Does it ever. But before Paul says a word of correction Paul communicates the grace of God in Christ Jesus in their lives. He, he, he tells them about God's grace and what, he, what he's done in the past, what he's doing in the present, and what he will do in their future. Now look, even though Paul is, is not in one sense giving us a, a master class on how to give correction in this letter, I think if we, if we actually look back and kind of take a 30,000-foot view of this letter, there are some principles that we can glean about how we can communicate God's grace in Christ as we are seeking to frame correction, give correction, and what we're talking about this morning, framing correction. So what we're going to do this morning is, is want to work through the passage just so we have a sense of what's going on. And then in that second part, I want us to look at some principles that we can glean from this passage. So here we go, verse 4. Let's reread it. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus Man, this is amazing. Paul gives thanks for this church. Despite knowing all that he knows about this church, how is it that he is able to give thanks for this church? Well, it's it's most certainly not because of anything that they are doing or not doing. Listen, the, the accent is not on them, but on God and His glorious grace given in Jesus. Listen, we, we must not miss Paul's perspective of this wayward church. It is, it is utterly God-oriented and Christ-centered. God, whether it's God the Father or God the Son is mentioned 11 times in these six verses. Not, not once in every verse, not once is the name of Jesus not mentioned. In fact, that actually goes all the way back up even in the first three verses as well. As we go through this passage, take note that everything comes from God and is given in Christ Jesus. Now, the purpose of God gifting this grace isn't what we normally think, and that is saving grace, though that is a grace that is gifted by God as well. here, the purpose of Paul giving grace, gifting grace, we read starting in verse 5 that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the grace that was given to this church was the enrichment of, in every way they were not lacking at all, grace gifts. It's important to note here that Paul is speaking about the, the church corporate, not, not the individual believers. And we talked about this last week, that the you here is you all. Here's, here's the point, as one commentator puts it. If we are to know the faithfulness of God's blessing, if we are to experience all the gifts of his grace, which are ours in Christ, it has to be together in fellowship. No individual Christian can claim to be not lacking in any spiritual gift, as chapters 12 and 14 make abundantly plain. Now, what Paul normally gives thanks for in a church are things like love and faith or maybe their partnership in the gospel, but but here he specifically mentions speech and knowledge. Speech and knowledge. Two, two things. Paul says in verse 6 that while he was still establishing this church through the proclamation of the gospel, that, that these gifts were... They were already manifest amongst them, and they, they, they serve two purposes. They served to not only give evidence of God's past saving work, but they also served as evidence of God's active and ongoing saving uh, uh, grace in their life. Second, these uh, speech and knowledge, <laughs> these, these are, the, these are the, the same gifts that he will later correct them on for their misunderstanding and misuse of. So what's the what's the takeaway with that? Well the, the problem lied not in the gifts but in the attitude and usage of the gifts. Right? Paul didn't they were they were messing these things up. And yet Paul didn't dismiss the gifts, and nor did he dismiss God's grace in gifting them. No, he he redirects, he reorients the Christians uh, the Corinthians' perspective of the gifts on God who gave them and his usage. His purpose for them. We see that in verse 7. Paul says they're good for the body as they wait for Jesus' return or until they go home to be with Jesus. Paul's not done framing this God-oriented, Christ-centered perspective about the Corinthians. He continues, verses 8 through 9. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, isn't Paul's confidence and their future guiltlessness remarkable in light of all that they are clearly guilty of? Well, it's actually unremarkable when we see that Paul's confidence is not derived from anything in the Corinthians, but his confidence is in the God who called them. God sovereignly called them into saving faith and into the fellowship of his son, we see in verse 9. And so Paul is confident that sense, God called them, he will sustain them. All right. There's the, there's the walkthrough. Hope we get a pretty decent sense there of what Paul was communicating and doing in this, this introduction to his letter. So now we're going to take a, a 30,000 foot view here to glean principles that, that we can use as we seek to communicate God's grace and frame our correction. Before we get there, let me, two things. One, I want to connect a dot from last Sunday to this Sunday. I think it's always helpful when we can connect dots from one teaching to another teaching. We, we talked we thought last Sunday about the scriptural principle of, of God's paradigm for spiritual transformation and change. And we, we said this, grace precedes obedience is that grace precedes obedience. And what we're seeing here is Paul entering into God's paradigm for change. He too is giving grace preceding a call to obedience. Do we see that before he ever gives a word of correction? Before he ever calls them to things that they're supposed to consider and do and change and obey, there is grace. Grace precedes obedience. And so listen, if we want to be instruments in God's hands, for the spiritual change of others, you see, we, we must also communicate God's grace before we communicate how God wants them to change, to transform, to obey. Second, and then we'll get into the principles. I, I, I wonder if, as we've been talking about this whole, this whole correction piece, if you've had somebody or some people uh, specific in mind and you're thinking, boy, this whole communicating grace before correction seems a little difficult with that person. I feel like they might just need the, the, the swift kick in the rear first. You know, here's the thing. There's a good chance that somebody's probably thinking about you in the same way. You know, but, but serious, if there is grace for Paul to communicate grace... Before he gives correction to this church, there must be grace for us to do the same. Look, on, 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 a, on a regular basis, surely we are not normally dealing with folks like the Corinthians. There's grace to communicate grace before we communicate correction. All right, principle number one. Make God and Jesus the focus. Now, remember, Paul's perspective of this church, despite all of their many serious faults, was God-oriented and Christ-centered. And so as we think about framing our correction with God's grace, we too must wisely have a God-oriented and Christ-centered perspective. In fact, let, let me, let me suggest, strongly suggest that you, you might want to hesitate, we might want to hesitate in giving correction until we first are able to have this perspective on that person. And let me make that suggestion because having this perspective, it will change us. It will change us about the way we think about them and the way that we pursue our correction. It will change the, the tone that we have. It, 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 will, it will change our heart for that person. It will change our perspective as we see that when we are engaging with another believer, we are, we are engaging with another son, another daughter of the king. We are, we are engaging with somebody who honestly is in the same boat. None of us are perfect. All of us are in need of more grace for change. It's going to radically change your perspective. Listen, the other thing that's going to change is thinking about the, the story of their life. Listen, in the redemptive story of their lives, you are not the center. They are not the center. God is at the center. God is the one who is to be thanked and hoped in and worshiped. It is God who brings conviction. It's God who promises hope for change in what we're seeking to correct. Now, let me be clear. This, this This God word perspective should not remain in our framing of the correction. It needs to to be infused all over the place in our correction. It needs to be the the last comments that we make as well. But listen, before we ever get to the correction, we need to intentionally make sure that we have and have brought to bear a God-oriented and Christ-centered perspective. Second principle, remember what God has done in Jesus. In verse nine, Paul reminds the Corinthians that God called them into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. Now this is actually the second time that Paul highlighted this truth. He actually mentioned it in verse two as well. And there he wrote to them saying that they were called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. One commentator says this, Paul looks at the Corinthian church as it is in Christ before he looks at anything else that is true of the church. And then the comment is, rarely is this done. He concludes that the warts are examined and lamented, but often there is no vision of what God has already done in Christ. We too need to catch a vision for what God has already done In Christ, for those whom we are seeking to bring correction to. This will inform our perspective of them, but it will also reorient them to what God has already done for them and who they are unshakably in Christ. You see, look, if they're a genuine believer in Jesus, there are are many true things about them. And not because of anything that they have done, but because of what God has done in Christ for them. These these gospel truths should shape their thinking and shape their hope and motivation for change. these are the same type of gospel truths that we talked about last week. Let me give you two examples. I'm gonna give you a new one that we didn't mention last week. And then I'm gonna spend a little more time there. And then the second one we'll just briskly Highlight as a review from last week. Here's some of the truths that we want to make sure that they're aware of. By grace through faith, at the moment of initial salvation, they were justified. They They were declared not guilty before the Holy God. They're the right standing now and forever is based on being gifted Jesus' righteousness. They didn't earn it, and by God's grace, this legal declaration won't be overturned. So, So look, when we remember this truth, and it informs our perspective on this person, it should guard us from condemning tones and heaping guilt on them. Listen, think of it like this. If God has declared them to be not guilty... And who are we to express condemnation? Look, by the Spirit's work, we, we want them to experience conviction and grief for their sin, not condemnation. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says this, For godly grief over sin produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief, which lacks repentance, produces death. Look, when, when, they are, when they may be most prone to feel sinful guilt or worldly grief, justification reminds them that they presently stand right before God. Not, not based on how well they're doing at any given moment, but based on the fact that they've been given Jesus' righteousness. What's more, their, their present sin has not put them outside the bounds of God's grace. As the late Jerry Bridges said your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Listen, sort of as an aside, sometimes I, I think that we think that we need to emphasize the wrongness of someone's sin. Now, now, sometimes I think maybe it's the, a good sense that we want to bring the, the gravity of the sin to to bear. But but here here's what I want to here's what I want to suggest and, and make sure that we keep before us is, is having a sensitivity to when people are convicted and when they have a godly grief. And then we should stop. There's no need to kick the proverbial dead horse. At that point we we need to we need to we need to thank God, maybe just quietly that there's conviction and godly grief, but what we need to start communicating is God's God's love and God's forgiveness. Okay, second example, much briefer, review from last week. Mention expiation. I want to show you how this, that category, this, this truth brings to bear in a situation like this. So Jesus had made, has made them then, if they are a true believer, Jesus has made them to be spiritually clean and he has forgiven them. He has expiated, removed their sin as far as the east is from the west. And so if we have that reality about them in our mind, our correction shouldn't suggest even a hint that there is no forgiveness to be found for what they have done or are doing. Rather, if we, if we see that spiritual truth and, and see that about who they are, our, our, our language, it should be full, our communication should be full of God's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And as they're reminded of this reality, it should encourage them to be quick and eager to go to God, confessing sin, repenting, knowing that God has forgiven them and is eager to forgive them in Christ. As we think about framing our correction with God's grace in Jesus, we should remember that what God has already done for them in Jesus. Third principle, show what God is doing in Jesus. Remember in verse 4, Paul gave thanks to God for them because of God's grace in their lives and he points out very specifically two evidences of grace, right? There was speech and there was knowledge. And showing these evidences of grace was meant to to encourage them by giving credence of God's prior saving grace, but also of showing that God was actively involved in their life. You see, friends, we'll continue to motivate others by grace when we recognize and show where God is at work in their lives. Far, far too many of us, right, are far more aware of God's absence than we are of his presence. Far, far too many Christians, yes, we can all be prone to be far more aware of our sin than of God's grace in our lives. Listen, we, we will wisely motivate others by grace, as we help them to see what God is doing in their lives. This takes effort on our part. We're going to need to intentionally consider evidences of grace in the lives of those that we're seeking to bring correction to. For many of us, this is not easy, right? One one reason or another. For many of us, seeing God's grace in other people's lives is it's just difficult. Now, now, some of us, we have to think deeply about this. Some of us, we are just simply prone to seeing people's deficiencies more than we are to seeing God's grace in our lives. But for many of us, it's just, we're just, it's just difficult. Whatever reason, how do we do that? The easy place to start is familiarizing yourself with the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. I want to encourage you to, to familiarize yourself. If you want to grow in being able to encourage others by showing evidences of God's grace in their life, familiarize yourself with the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Here's why you want to do that. Because when you see these things, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit in other people's lives, you are seeing God's activity. I mean, let's think about this. You see the fruit of the Spirit. You see love, joy, peace, patience, and the rest. And you, you see that in somebody's life. That is a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of them, not a fruit of you or me. So we would do well to encourage them with those evidences of grace. Now, don't be shocked that where God is at work, where they're gifted, is also maybe where they need some adjustment that's what it was for the Corinthians but don't shy away from that just like Paul did don't shy away from that but redirect them to God who has given the gifts and the purpose to which God wants to use the, the for those gifts to be used listen we want to point out evidences of God's grace in someone's life because here's the encouragement it lets them know that God is still at work Here we are in the context of of, of about to be telling them some some hard things. And it it may feel or look bleak. I don't know the situation, right? But we we can can think this out. And to show them evidences of God's grace is to encourage them, God hasn't left you. He's not done with you. What's more, he is actively at work in you. Friends, we, we want to encourage. We want to encourage But one of the things that we should enjoy most is watching others come to awareness of God's activity in their lives. Our final principle we glean from Paul for communicating God's grace in Jesus is to point forward, point forward to what God will do in Jesus. Verse 8, Paul writes, God will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, we, we would be wise before we ever say a word of correction that we say a word of hope as we point forward to the promise of God to finish what he started. This is the, this is the same sure promise that Paul gave to the Philippian church in Philippians 1.6 where he wrote, God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Look, the, the Corinthians present situation, bad, Terrible but Paul's confidence for them to sustain guiltless to the end is not in their faithfulness, but in God's faithfulness to finish what he started. And as we communicate God's grace in Christ to them, we we want to point them forward to what God promises he will do in them. We want to be very explicit to root their confidence for sustaining and changing, not in themselves, but in the God who called them. Paul said similar words to the church in Thessalonica. He, he wrote uh, to this young church and, and, and he wanted to encourage them to, to keep pressing on. Keep doing what they're doing. Keep living lives pleasing to the Lord. And at the end of the letter, he closes with these words of assurance. 1 Thessalonians chapter five, verses 23 through 24. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Look, by God's grace, we, we want to give those that we're seeking to give correction to a, a bigger view than their present situation. We want to encourage them and enable them to look up and beyond their present situation and to the glorious ends that God will faithfully sustain them to. Now now listen, we're not suggesting to them that God wants them to remain as they are to the end, stuck in a muddied quagmire of their sin. No, this, this view of the promise of God is to, yes, save you where he found you, but to not keep you there. God will preserve us in faith to the end guiltless because we've been gifted Jesus' righteousness, but God will also transform us more and more to resemble Jesus. So he is meant to produce hope-sustaining, faith-producing motivation for change. When we communicate correction to a believer, we would first, first, should wisely communicate God's grace in Jesus. All right. Well, let's 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 need to bring this to a close. Shut all this. and Maybe you're like, yep, okay, that's that's a good way forward. We should we should do that. I see wisdom in that too. And yet, maybe you're thinking, well, what does that look like, right? I, I, want, I want to let you know that this does not look anything clinical. It does not look anything convoluted or tough. This is exactly what you might think it looks like. But, but, but first, when you're going to be pursuing somebody in, uh, to give some observations, to give some correction, let them know that. We don't want this to be a bait and switch where they, hey, let's go grab coffee, grab coffee, get some encouragement. Well, I also want to let you know. Oh, so, so you want to let them know first. Hey, look, I, I want to get together tomorrow. Got some observations, some things that, you know, maybe you want to seek grace for change in. When you get together though truly this is what it looks like. It looks like hey look but before we get there I want to let you know that I am far more aware of God's grace in your life than I am of areas of deficiency. This is you know I just want to encourage you that this isn't something where I just look at and highlight multiple deficiencies. I want to let you know that I am way more aware of God's grace in your life and areas of deficiency. And you want to you want to give a few places where they can be encouraged. But, but, to, but to speak a moment about giving correction, we, we, again, we don't want to leave that there. Paul doesn't leave God's grace in the first couple of verses here. In, in, in chapter 6, Paul is, is correcting them, and he's encouraging them, exhorting them to flee sexual immorality. And, and he says, for this reason, you have been bought with a price you are no longer your own. You are not a slave to that. You belong to Jesus. You've been bought with a price, so glorify, your God, glorify God in your body. So we're not, we're not leaving God's grace here uh, as we frame correction. God's grace is going to be all over our correction as well. And let me encourage you that we should also end with God's grace. You know, oh we, we've done. It. I, I just want to remind you again boy, there's grace here. I, I'm more aware of God's grace than, than these things we've been talking about. There is grace for change. I, I pray that God would use me to, to help as well. Look, when we leave, we, we want them to be far more aware of God's grace than of whatever it is that we're bringing to bear. God's grace needs to be in view all over. Let's just do a quick moment of reflection. i got some questions for us to think about. These are also questions that that, uh, um, you'll probably think about also in your home group as well. When someone sees you coming, are they thinking, man, I feel a correction coming on. Ooh, there's some criticism coming. When they see you coming, do they say, know they love me yep sometimes there's some hard things to be said but boy I felt loved by them and I know God's grace will be communicated another question more often than not would you say that before you've ever said a word of correction you've made that person aware of your thankfulness for what God has done or is doing or will do in their lives Let's, let's make this even more simplistic here. Are you able to give thanks to God for that person? If not, why not? What's that saying about your own heart disposition towards them? Look, if we're dealing with the child of God, then we should always be able to thank God for them because of what he has done, is doing, and will do in their lives. Finally, would you say that you are generally more aware of God's grace in people's lives or areas of deficiencies? Let me say it again. If we want to be instruments in God's hands, For the spiritual change of others, we must communicate God's grace of done before we communicate God's grace of do. None of us are perfect at this. None of us are perfect at this. We can all grow in this area of communication by God's grace. And my prayer is that we'll want to grow in this area, that we'll be continue to be known as a community of just exhibits and exudes through communication, through words, through action, God's grace. We want to continue to be a community of believers that is centered on the grace of God in Jesus. So let's pray and let's ask help to do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the the grace that you want to give us to, to continue to live as a community of believers that is Centered on your grace found in Christ Jesus to uh, to live together, um, and sometimes that that looks like having to communicate hard things, but but would you help us to be to be gentle, to be loving as we first seek to communicate your grace to to motivate uh, change by grace uh, that's <laughs> Father, that's, that's the way you've created this. That's how you want us to change, uh, of grace preceding obedience. And so I, I pray that you would help us to enter into your paradigm of change as we seek to help others change. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.